At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. A warmer for the low. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for Coach Casus with myself, Dayeep Pierce, and now part of the Visa Family of Podcasts. And it is a Colonial Athletic Association preview edition of the podcast. This is going to be a lot of fun. Going to be taking a look at a fresh new look conference as you wind up having one team depart from the conference in James Madison and I thought it was three teams added into the conference, but it's actually four. We've got Monmouth, who is going to be added. On top of that, you want to bring in a pair of teams from the Big South in Hampton, along with North Carolina A&T and Stony Brook. And joining me in the second segment to break down all these rosters except for Monmouth, because when I was doing the interview with him, I forgot that Monmouth had joined this conference. So if you're having a tough time with all these realignment moves, have no fear. The best of us are as well. But with that said, Cooper Watson, he does a great job over there at Bustin' Brackets. We're going to be taking a look at all these rosters, taking a look at the shakeups that we've seen in terms of this conference, a little bit of the styles of play as well. So we're going to have a good time with it there. And then in the final segment of this podcast, I'm going to be giving you guys my projected order finish for the Colonial and along the way. Here in the first segment, we're going to be taking a look at the betting trends and we're going to be taking a look at the styles of play out here in the Colonial. And if you ever do have a question, comment, segment, idea, what I be for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we'll fire those in. First one is by Twitter timeline at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind, letter CM, they mean does not matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline. Otherwise, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. And as per usual, when it comes to conference previews, because I am not going to be doing the news and notes of college basketball from Friday, if we did wind up seeing any, and we are really starting to get thin on the news and notes of college basketball, I'm going to be doing those on the podcast tomorrow. So all the housekeeping has been done. Let's get down to business. Let's take a look at the Colonial. And with the Colonial, you typically wind up having a lot of, I think it's fair to say, slower to mid-tempo teams out of your 358 D1 teams from last year. A lot of these teams, they rank right around like 200, sometimes a little bit lower in terms of possessions per game. Towson was a team that was a little bit slower, but was very efficient being a top 30 team in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. UNC Wilmington was a little bit more of a methodical team as well, but we did wind up seeing one coaching change that wound up making a big giant zag while everyone else was zigging, and that's College of Charleston. They were in the top five last year in terms of total possessions per game. Pat Kelsey wound up coming over from Winthrop, wound up just breathing a little bit of life in general into that league, and when it comes to what we wound up seeing out of College of Charleston, because they were playing so up-tempo, they were one of your better over teams out in this conference. 19 overs of 13 unders, and the other team that was on top of the conference in terms of most overs, that's another team that wound up seeing a coaching change 
from last offseason. That would be Hofstra at Speedy Claxon. You may recall he wound up playing in the NBA for a few seasons. 18 overs to 12 unders for them. So I do think that that's interesting to take a look at. And we're going to have one coaching change out there in the CAA. And that is with Elon, who is really one of the best under teams in all of college basketball last year. Forget about just the conference itself. They wound up playing 10 overs at 20 unders last season. Mike Schrage, who was the coach for this team last season, he wanted to take an assistant job over there at Duke's. Um, we've got a, another regime that is going to be really looking to play a little bit of defense. We're going to be diving into that in the second segment with Cooper Watson. But I mean, here are the teams that wound up having a higher under rate than Elon last season. Austin P, Eastern Illinois, South Florida, Central Connecticut State, Ewe Peewee, IUPUI, UC Irvine, Loyola of Maryland, Seton Hall, Arizona State, Monmouth, who now joins the conference, they played 23 unders to 11 overs, and that was the end of the list. And Monmouth was such an intriguing team as well as they wanted covering 10 out of their first 11 games last season, and then things wound up going straight down the toilet bowl for them. I want to mention the fact that I forgot to mention them with our good friend Cooper Watson in terms of taking a look at these rosters, and I can tell you, they wind up losing pretty much each other top four scores from last season, a team that, when it came to conference play, they were absolutely putrid out there at being able to cover the spread after, in the non-conference portion of the slate, Monmouth was really your money maker. They were 10-1 and against the spread out of conference last year. Number one. In all of college basketball, there was not a single team with a better cover rate. And Towson, by the way, who was in the conference last season, they went 11-3 and in non-conference games as well against the spread. That was in the top 10 in all of college basketball. So you have a lot of teams in this conference that they were able to make you a lot of money out of conference. And you take a look at a team that wound up having a coaching change in College of Charleston. They were able to catch a lot of teams snapping with regards to that. They wound up going 8-4 and four against the spread out of conference. And then you've got the complete and utter opposite. A team that we thought was going to be bad, and boy, we didn't know that they were going to be this bad last season. You don't just get William. You don't just get Mary. You get both, and you've got William and Mary, two human beings, and that's two more human beings than you had against the spread covers out of conference. They went 0-11 in non-conference games last season. Now, that did wind up leading to them having a little bit of value for them in conference games as they did wind up going in conference against the spread 13-6. and So they were actually really able to redeem themselves. It was one of those cases in which they wanted to get so low and they were getting so heavily faded that all of a sudden there was value on them. It goes back to just my example of you're not betting on teams, but you're betting on numbers. And because the numbers just wound up keep on going down, down, down with William and Mary with every single non-cover that they wound up having. They were able to get a couple covers, but you also wound up having a big fat disappointment out there in this conference as well. Northeastern, who was projected to be a top three team in this conference. They went 5-15 and 15 against the spread in conference and 2-16 and 16 straight up. I mean, this is a team that they were cataclysmically bad against the spread and straight up in the CAA. You did wind up seeing Hofstra, who was very good out of conference. They wound up going 7-12 and 12 against the spread in conference. And you also wound up having one of the biggest outliers in all of college basketball as well. North Carolina Wilmington goes 16-5 and five in conference games last season. We're going to be talking about this a little bit more with Cooper Watson and if it's going to be sustainable or not. But with what we wound up seeing out of UNC Wilmington, and I'm not even kidding when I throw out there this set, they went 19-1 and 
in games decided by eight points or fewer in terms of a straight-up perspective. That allowed them to be the number three cover team in all of college basketball in terms of just conference games. And if you're looking both non-conference and conference games, UNC Wilmington, a bankroll builder for you. 23-11 and 11 against the spread. Middle Tennessee, Jacksonville, St. Peter's, Long Beach State. They were the only better teams against the spread for you last season. So it was a big, giant money machine for you. Meanwhile, Northeastern, they went 10-20-1 and against the spread. That was in the bottom 15 in all of college basketball. So the teams that wound up overachieving because UNC Wilmington, they were projected to be a bottom three team in the conference last season. And Northeastern, they were projected to be a top three team in conference. Completed under opposites. As a result, you were able to find a lot of money on them. And we see that quite often with the CAA. You may recall that we wound up seeing a few years ago Drexel wind up being the NCAA tournament representative from this conference. Delaware team that was towards the middle of the conference. They were able to do so. And year in and year out, this is typically one of the conferences that is one of the most balanced in terms of just one through what used to be 10. Now it is going to be 13 schools. And I do think that that balance might wind up getting thrown out of whack a little bit, especially with now having one of your more up-tempo teams and James Madison being out of the fold. That's James Madison. In terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, they were the number three team out there in this conference. And what I think is also very intriguing about this conference, which is why I wanted to bring up the fact that a lot of these teams, they were able to make you quite a bit of money if you want to betting on them on the over. You don't have a lot of teams that they wind up generating a lot of seals. Drexel was in the bottom 10 in all of college basketball in terms of seals force on a per possession basis. William and Mary, they wound up finding themselves in that fold as well. Towson is not a team that's necessarily going to be able to take the ball away from you. You just take a look up and down the boulevard. Really the only team that's able to generate a few steals, that would be College of Charleston. And College of Charleston, they actually really did it on the glass. In terms of offensive rebounds per game, they were in the top 10 in all of college basketball, so they did a nice job there, and this is a conference in which you've got a lot of mediocre defenses. You really don't have a single defense that they were so cataclysmically bad that they were in, like, the bottom 20 or anything like that in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but you wound up seeing a lot of defenses that they were in, like, the mid-200s in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. You saw a lot of these teams be a little bit less than efficient, and when the teams that was going to be joining this conference, Stony Brook, they replaced James Madison, who was 294th in the country. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, they were 284th out there in the America East. They're a team that they wind up losing a lot from last season. They're a team that they traditionally play a little bit slower. They're relatively efficient on offense, relatively inefficient on defense. So they're very much going to be fitting the mold of this conference as not a conference that as a whole. I think that you're going to be seeing a lot of styles that are going to be similar, and then you've got your big giant outlier in College of Charleston, a team that they really look to push a tempo, and when it comes to home court advantage, when it comes to the CAA as well, I always think that that's interesting to take a look at, because with the CAA, it's a conference that is relatively close together. You've got a lot of schools out there in the North Carolina area, out there in the state of Pennsylvania as well, and you take a look at how a lot of these teams wind up doing at home, and you wind up seeing not a lot of teams have a lot of success. UNC Wilmington, 8-4 and four against the spread last season. Towson, 8-6 against the spread at home last season. Every single other team that was in the conference last season, they wound up going 7-8 and eight against the spread or worse at home. Nobody else had a cover rate that was at 50% or better. And as a matter of fact, William & Mary, Northeastern, Hofstra, Delaware, all a 38.5% or worse against the spread record when they were at home. 
Compare that to how these teams wound up doing on the road. You had two teams that didn't wind up making you money on the road last season. William and Mary, who wound up going 7-8 against the spread on the road. Northeastern, 2-9-1 against the spread. That shows just how equal these teams are. They wound up playing a lot of games that they wound up coming down to late game following. That's a big reason why Towson, they went 11-4-1 against the spread. They were nails at the free throw line. You've got a Drexel team that they wound up going 10-3 against the spread. They had a highly reliable point guard in Cameron Winter that you were able to look to. UNC Wilmington, 9-5 against the spread. When they were on the road as well. And then you do take a look at the two teams that are going to be entering from the Big South. And I think that that's a little bit of an interesting dynamic as well as you wind up seeing North Carolina A&T be 9-7 against the spread on the road. Hampton, they wound up going 7-6 and six on the road as well. And Hampton is a bunch that they really only had two guys that wound up averaging more than 8.2 points per contest. They were very, very heavy with just relying upon two separate guys. And both of these teams, when it came to and against the spread record last season, they weren't great. They weren't terrible. North Carolina A&T 15 and 15 against the spread. Meanwhile, Hampton, they wound up going 12 and 14 against the spread. Meanwhile, you take a look at Stony Brook, what they're going to be able to bring to the table, and they were terrible. 12 and 18 against the spread. We were expecting a lot more on them. The Elijah Olani injury, that wound up really affecting them. And then when it comes to what you're able to expect from a totals perspective out of both North Carolina A&T and Hampton, I do think that it's interesting because with A&T, when they really tore it up out there in the MEAC during the 2019-20 season, they were one of the most up-tempo teams in all of college basketball basketball when it came to conference play. They slowed things down last season. Still 16 overs to 14 unders, but that led to a little bit more volatility with them. Hampton, they wound up playing 12 overs to 14 unders while playing a style which it really lent itself to two guys really putting the ball in the basket and playing a little bit slower, but not necessarily playing some supreme defense. So it's going to be a very interesting conference to take a look at. I'm going to be hitting upon Monmouth a little bit more when I do my projector or finish because I forgot to add about them with Cooper Watson, but joining me next. He does a great job over there at Bus and Brackets. He's out there in the great state of North Carolina. We are going to be talking to our good friend Cooper Watson about all the teams in this conference. Taking a look at all these rosters next right here on Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hughes, and now part of the Beeson Family of Podcasts, the CAA Conference Preview Edition. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. 
From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. And we're back to Love You Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops, and now part of the Eastern Family of Podcasts. We continue our look at the Colonial Athletic Association with Cooper Watson. He's doing a great job being able to take a look at the game of college basketball. One of the better minds that you're going to find out there. And he is in prime Colonial Athletic Association country, for lack of a better term, as he is out there in the great state of North Carolina. And Cooper doing an absolutely amazing job with our good friends over there at Bus and Brackets. And I know that he's been doing a lot of work this college basketball season, even doing a little bit of work over there at the Field of 68. And to be able to follow him on Twitter, that is at Cooper T. Watson all together. And Cooper, great to have you aboard. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Greg. It's good to be here. Great to have you aboard. And Cooper, let's dive into some of these thieves as we've got a little bit of a new look out there in the CA. So we are not going to be talking about James Madison today because they have moved on. But we've got a new team in Stony Brook that is going to be entering the CAA. And I'm not sure about you, but the way that I view Stony Brook's move is that there's something up in competition. Going from the AEC where, I mean, it was really Vermont number one and then really past that you didn't have a clear number two. Going to the CAA I think is going to be tough for them. And then on top of that, last year we thought that Elijah Olenin was really going to be able to come to the forefront. He was unable to. They wind up losing to Kai Green towards the back half of the offseason. He winds up going to Kansas State. They are a pretty well-coached team, in my opinion, but I think that this is going to be an uphill battle in what I think is a pretty big step up in class. Yeah, it's a huge step up. I thought they were going to compete. I never buy in on anybody beating Vermont in that league, but I thought they would compete. They were a little disappointing. They dropped 70 spots, I think, in Ken Palm from the start of the year. A little disappointing, you know, in the metrics as well as, like, with my expectations. An interesting Gina Ford coach team. He's been a coach at Stony Brook for a decade, basically. Last season was the second time that one of his teams had a lower defensive rating than offensive rating on Ken Palm. So just a little bit different team, translated to some disappointment. They bring in some decent players. It'll be interesting. Aaron Clark from Sacred Heart, not a good Sacred Heart team, but he averaged 16 points per game. And then an interesting player who I think is going to be the key for them if they want to try to compete with the top half of this league is going to be Dean Knoll from Cornell. Only averaged like nine points a game last year, eight or nine points, I think, for the season. But over his last 15 games, was at 13 points per game? 
in not a ton of minutes. That was more like 20 or 21 points per game per 36 minutes over the last 15 games. So if he can keep that up, he gives them offense, which I like in the Colonial. A lot of defensive teams, so the teams that can score, I really like to compete. But that's kind of my general thoughts on Stony Brook. Yeah, I think that it's going to be a little bit tough for them. They're really going to need to have Frankie Poselli, who's really their top scorer coming back after having eight points, four and a half rebounds per game, to step up. So I'm with you. I think it's going to be a little bit of an uphill battle for them. I think it's going to be a little bit more promising for Oscar, though. They do wind up losing a few pieces from last year. Jalen Ray, Zach Cooks, two of their better scorers out there in the backcourt to combine 25 and a half points per game. They're gone, but how about the human statute stuff for himself? That'd be Aaron Estrada. 93.5% 93.5% free throw shooter with 18.5 points, 5.5 boards, 5 assists, and 1.5 steals per game. Absolutely incredible. I don't know what they're going to be able to get out of Bryce Washington during the 2019-20 season. He was solid over there at Penn, but a little bit of a jury's out situation there. They do wind up losing a little bit of rebounding, but we were talking about guys coming in from other conferences. How about another guy that winds coming in from the Northeast? That would be Tyler Thomas. He is going to be coming in. He's going to be able to give the team some production, 17.5 points per game. At Sacred Heart last year, Darlson Dunbar is someone that I like. And for Hofstra, I don't know if they're going to be able to win the conference because it's going to be a little bit tough for them on the glass with their losses. But in a good place to start is Aaron Estrada. Yeah, they were third in the league last year. They're going to be a top three team again, I think, just purely because of him. He's the best player in the league. Tyler Thomas, you know, you mentioned him. He had a little drop-off in production last year. Nothing huge, but still a great addition for them. They lose most of their minutes. I think the key with Hofstra is... They're going to have to guard somebody if they want to actually try to win the league. They forced a bunch of turnovers last year, but they just couldn't guard anybody. They were bottom 20 nationally in effective field goal percentage defense and three-point percentage defense. They couldn't guard anybody. If they didn't force a steal or a turnover, then you were going to score against them. So Aaron Estrada can only carry you so far. They're going to have to guard someone. But I do think it's a top three or four team in the league next year again. Yep, I'm right there with you. I feel the same about Hofstra. I don't know if they necessarily have enough to be able to win the whole shebang, but and that said, Aaron Estrada is going to be able to take you a long way. As Cooper Watson does a great job with busting brackets. He's joining me on the podcast. The team that wanted to represent the Colonial last year in the NCAA Delaware, I think that you're in agreement with me on this one. They're probably not going to be doing that once again this season. They wind up losing a lot of their top scores from last year. Four of their five guys that average at least 10 points per game are gone. Jameer Nelson Jr. is really going to need to hold down the fort end. Not a bad place to start. 13 and a half points, five boards, two assists, relatively solid guard, but you're now looking at LJ Owens coming in from UMBC to be able to tear it up. Christian Ray was able to give LaSalle right around seven rebounds per contest, but losing so many of the guys that were the heart and soul for this team down low last year, like Carr along with Dylan Painter, that is going to be hurting them. And for Delaware, just too many new pieces for me to really see them be towards the top half of the conference once again this year. Yeah, I mean, they won the tournament last year, which was surprising in the considering how they played for most of the year. They were pretty average for most of the year. They were picked to win the league, I think, at the beginning of the year. So if you were to compare it to that, not that surprising that last year's team ended up representing the league in the NCAA tournament. But given how they played for most of the year, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Jameer Nelson Jr. is going to have to hold it down. 
I like Jayu Davis. I think he could be the best player on the team this year. You mentioned Andrew Carr leaving to Wake Forest. That's an interesting move, and I don't want to get too deep down on that because that's not what we're talking about here, but just an interesting move there. Delaware shot the ball really well last year. I mentioned I like teams that can score in this league in particular. There are different leagues where maybe I would take a defensive-minded team. I like teams that can score. They lose a lot of that, but they bring back enough. They're not going to win the league. It's a top-half team, though. I think it's it's definitely a top-half team in the league. They're not going to slip too far, in my mind, at least. Yeah, but I do think that they're one of the better coach teams out there in the league as well, and that really does mean something, in my opinion. And we're talking about one of the better coach teams in the league, and we're talking about Delaware who wound up being able to win the league last year. I think it's going to be tough to knock off Towson this year. You take a look at everything that Pat Scary winds up having coming back. It's just absolutely ridiculous, and... 25 and 9 last year for a Towson team that was 29th in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. Cameron Holden, he did it all 13 and a half points, eight boards, three assists per game. Nicholas Timberlake, over a 40% three point shooter. They bring in Nigel Russell, someone that was out there in the OVC who was able to give the team right around eight points, six and a half rebounds per contest. Rebounding was a little bit of a tough thing for the team, but Charles Thompson. He was really able to come on towards back half the year. I mean, the only knock I have this on, on this team is Terry Nolan is out after he had three and a half assists per game. But I look at Towson, they won 25 games last season. And I think that this team is going to be able to win a lot of games once again in conference this season. Yeah, I mean, a clear favorite. Bring back the top four scorers. Cam Holden, a little bit of a scare, a little bit of a late scare with Cam Holden. Entered the portal, I believe, after the May 1st deadline which would be the, the one-time transfer deadline. He had already used his one-time waiver, though, to come to Towson. So that was a really interesting move. But then soon after, it was kind of announced that he was going to come back to Towson, which made sense. It, it was confusing when he entered in the first place. So that was a little bit of a scare, but they avoid that. Clear favorite, bring in Nigel Russell. Also bring in Sekou Silla, who was the Division Two National Player of the Year last year. And I believe he's going to be eligible this year. So, I mean, we'll see on that. Definitely a good addition. I was looking on Torvik, our, our friend Bart Torvik, can sort by. You can have players take him away. When you add Cam Holden in the mix, they're number 88 on Torvik nationally, which for a team out of the Colonial is really strong. They finished 75th on Ken Palm last year. So they're in that same sort of range. They're definitely going to be a top 75 team again this year. Clear favorite in the league, though. I think we agree on that, probably. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm right there with you. The Towson Tigers are going to be very hard to beat in this conference. I think they were hard to beat last year in the conference, and I think that that is going to be duplicating itself once again. And we're talking about a team that is one of the favorites out there in the conference. How about if we wind up hitting on a team that is pretty much a favorite to finish dead last once again? That'd be William and Mary. They could use either William and or Mary to wind up coming out and being able to give the team some minutes because it is not good right now. They were 357th out of 358 team and points allowed on a per-possession basis. They really could not shoot the three well. Now they do bring in Chris Mullen, someone who was at Rice a few years ago. Rice, they weren't a great defensive team either, but 
he had a couple bright spots for them. I remember he had 10 and a half points per game two seasons ago, mid 33 point shooter that season before last year. Wasn't necessarily so great. They bring in Nola Collier from Pittsburgh, a former top 10 rated recruit from the state of Pennsylvania. So that should be able to help them out. But it's William and Mary team. They need a little bit of everything right now, and they've got a long, long road to climb back up. They bring in Chris Mullins from Rice, but they really need Chris Mullin. St. John's, and that still might not be enough. Three seasons, Dane Fisher's been there. They've gone from 10 games over 500 to three games below 500 to 22 games below 500. Not on a great trajectory there. They couldn't make a shot last year. I mean, they just couldn't make a shot. Painful team to watch. They turned it over constantly. They lose eight players to the portal, I believe. They bring in Anders Nelson, Chris Mullins, decent additions. I just don't think they got any better. It's a bottom two team in the league, and that's being nice, probably. It's going to be a long year. Yeah, and for Anders Nelson, he was able to put up a double-figure amount of points at St. Thomas, but I mean, he was playing at the D3 level a few years ago, along with pretty much all of St. Thomas, and not necessarily yeah. a great three-point shooter, which... William and Mary, they could use any sort of three-point shooting that they can get. As joining me on the podcast, Cooper Watson does a great job over there at Bus and Brackets. And how about if we wind up going with a team that has really went up tempo and they played a fun brand of basketball last year? <laughs> that would be the College of Charleston. Now, they do wind up losing John Meeks from last year, but they were without him for quite a bit of last year anyway because he was dealing with injury. They bring in Rene Smith, and he was tremendous last year. 12 points per game. The Aussie was able to shoot right around 37.5% from three, 93% at the free throw line. I think the big question is, can they continue to be able to generate those offensive rebounds that they were able to get last season because they were one of the top teams in all of college basketball at being able to get second and third chances. They bring in a couple guys from the D2 level, Pat Robinson the third, who was able to put up over 20 points per game at Southeast Oklahoma, Ante Brazilvich. He winds up coming in as well. So you've got a pair of guys that they want to putting up some massive numbers at the D2 level. They're going to be coming in. Then I think Ryan Larson is one of the more under-the-radar transfers in all of college basketball, a guy that's really able to dole out the ball, a efficient scorer. So I take a look at the College of Charleston, very well-coached team under Pallet Kelsey, and I think that their upward trajectory is going to continue. Yeah. I'm with you. I like Charleston a lot. I like Pat Kelsey a lot. Behind Towson, probably my number two team right now. They played really fast last year, which for anybody who watched Pat Kelsey teams at Winthrop is not a surprise. Number two in tempo, I think, nationally. What they didn't do that a lot of Pat Kelsey teams have done is they didn't take a lot of threes. And I think that was for the best because they didn't shoot them that well either. It wasn't horrible, just not great. They lose Brendan Tucker who was one of their best shooters. But like you mentioned, they bring in Ryan Larson from Wofford, who basically had identical three-point shooting numbers to Brendan Tucker. So they can at least break even there. I don't think they really improved as a shooting team. But look, it's going to be Smith and Ben Burnham, who were both all freshman guys last year, both coming back. Smith, second-leading scorer, Ben Burnham, started for most of the season. So Kelsey's second year, it's going to start to pick up. And I think this is going to be the year they break in at least the top three team. You know, I mean, Towson's clearly going to be the favorite, but wouldn't be stunned to see Charleston get up and down and pull off a couple upsets in March, maybe. 
So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm excited to watch Charleston play. I'll put it that way. I'm really excited to watch Charleston play. absolutely. There are some teams that are pretty painful to watch. We laid that out with William and Mary, and then there are fun (laughs) teams to watch in Charleston, which even when they wind up losing, you know that someone's probably going to be able to get to 80 points in that game. So that's going to be great. And this team might not be as exciting to watch. That would be Elon as they wound up going through a little bit of a coaching change late as Mike Schrock, he wound up leaving the program to take an assistant job over there at Duke, and a lot of their top scorers, they are going to be out of the fold as well. You've got Torrance Watson and Zach Irvin coming back after they combine for about 26.5 points per game, but it's going to be really tough without the Hunters, Hunter Woods, Hunter McIntosh, and it's a little bit rough. Billy Taylor, I think, is going to be able to do a relatively solid job, but this team really doesn't bring in much in the transfer portal. They need these guys that they brought in the last few years, like Gerald Gillens Butler, along with Andrew Junkin, who winds up coming in from Mississippi State, six foot eleven, really couldn't get out there on the floor. So I think for Elon, it's having these guys that they brought in via the transfer portal a few years ago, really being able to develop that they're going to need to rely upon. And I just don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, I think Junkin could be a key. I think he has potential. He's certainly going to get an opportunity if he can get on the court this year. The only coaching change in the conference, you know, when I went back and looked at Billy Taylor, who we've seen for a long time, he has coached 11 years at Ball State and Lehigh. I went back and looked it up. 10 of those 11 years, the defense has been ranked higher nationally than the offense, which is interesting when you consider that he, in between those coaching, the head coaching stints, has been an assistant for Fran McCaffrey three different times at UNCG and then Iowa twice. I went back and watched an interview. Our buddy Matt Cox, Three Man Weave, did a good interview with Billy Taylor where he talked about how we could see a difference this year. He's played a little more of a defensive style, his teams, when he's been the head coach recently. But you know maybe the, the Fran McCaffrey up-tempo offensive type of style he might buy into as a head coach this year so could see a little something different but the talent's just not there not a lot to work with lowest percentage of minutes returning in the entire league and didn't really add much at all from the transfer portal so it's gonna be a tough year but I'm interested to see if Billy Taylor if we see that old school defensive style or if we see him do like a more of a Fran McCaffrey type offense Yep, I am intrigued to see what winds up going down there as well, because with Taylor, as you mentioned, his teams have typically been better on defense, and Elon, they were not great in terms of their defensive efficiency last season, and a team that typically does a relatively solid job on defense, that'd be Drexel, but we talk about Elon and the fact that they lost quite a bit. Drexel, they're going to be without four of their top five scorers from last year, including their main facilitator and Cameron Winter, one of the team's all-time leaders in rebounds to James Butler, which means that it's now the Amari Williams show. Ooh, he had nine and a half points, seven and a half boards, and two blocks for contest, and really came on towards back half of the season. But you're going to really need someone like Amado Koros being able to step up for the team. Lamar Odin Jr. was able to shoot over 40% from three-point range, but they really didn't add a lot in the transfer portal. They were 350th in the country in terms of steals force on a per-possession basis, and I think it might be a little bit rough for a Drexel team that just two years ago made the NCAA tournament. Yeah, they shot the ball pretty well last year from three. They shot the ball very well from three. Pretty mediocre last year. Finished fifth in the league. Picked to finish second or third. I think they were picked pretty highly. Lose a lot of experience. They lose a lot of minutes in general, but I think the key there is they lose a lot of experience. They were you know, one of the two most experienced teams in the league last year. They could be at the bottom. I wouldn't be surprised to look up in December or January you know, on Ken Palm or whoever measures the experience and see that they're last in the league. So 
I don't think they're going to be William to Mary territory bad. Certainly, probably a team that's going to finish around ninth or tenth in the league, though. So it's going to be a long year, but not too horrible. Yeah, I think that it's going to be a little bit of a tough year for them. And last year was a really bad year for this team. Northeastern, yeah. two and sixteen in the conference, tied for the worst <laughs> win percentage in the program's Division One history in conference. And they had a two and twenty-two record when they allowed at least sixty-five points per game. Now they do bring in two guys that were ranked in the top two seventy-five according to twenty-four-seven Sports. Chase Cormier is going to be coming in as a true point guard. He should be able to help out. Jared Turner is a little bit of a six-foot-eight shifty guy that comes in from Washington D.C. Chris Doherty, he's going to be coming back after he had nine rebounds per game. And under the radar, Joe Pridgen, who tore it up at Holy Cross. Had a good run of things while he was at UNC Wilmington. He's going to be back as well. There's no way North, Northeastern winds up finishing with two conference wins again. I think the question is how far do they wind up climbing back up? And I think that there's a trajectory for the team to get back towards the middle of the conference. I think the question is, can this team just get a little bit of jump shooting? Because last year, that was really rough for them. Really top five weird team in all of college basketball last year. I mean, they were picked to finish second in the league, and they go two for 16, finished dead last. Bill Cohen's worst team in 15, 20 years, however long he's been at Northeastern. They return the most of any team in the league in terms of just what they had on the team last year. They bring in a couple freshmen. We know at this level, freshmen don't always produce right away as much as we see them at some of the higher leagues, but still have an impact there. I'm with you. I think it's interesting looking at some of the projections on websites like Torvik. It's tough to get a read on, okay, are we taking the team we thought we would get from Northeastern last year or the team that we got? Are we splitting the difference? That's the tough thing to read here. So I'm with you. I did kind of a rough sketch, just an order, one through 13. I had them pinned seventh. So you mentioned middle of the conference. That's basically dead middle. They're not going to be at the bottom of the league again. But I don't see them climbing up to like third or fourth either. Even though, you know, if you told me at the beginning of last year, okay, here's, here's who they're going to have next year, I would have probably said that team's going to compete to win the league. Yeah, it's so interesting to take a look at them because they underachieved so badly last year that it was a little bit rough for them. As joining me on the podcast, we do have Cooper Watson of Bustin' Brackets, and I do agree with you. I think that this is a team that's going to be better. I cannot put them in the top three, and I don't know if I could put the two teams that wind up coming in from the used to be MEAC. They were in the Big South a little bit as well in Hampton along with North Carolina A&T and got a pair of very interesting teams right here because with North Carolina A&T, I mean, they've actually done a relatively solid job at the transfer portal over the last few seasons. And they bring in Austin Johnson and Will Felton. UC Irvine's Austin Johnson, a guy that is six foot nine, he's able to give you some blocks. Will Felton was a former four-star guy that just couldn't wind up seeing the floor with Arizona State. But this team wound up running through Cameron Langley for so long. He wound up having a massive fall off with his number after he wound up being one of the top leaders in terms of assists per game. And it's just such an interesting team in North Carolina A&T because when they really had success in the MEAC a few years ago, they were one of the most up-tempo teams in all of college basketball. They slowed down the pace last year, and they suffered for it. Yeah, spent one year in the Big South, so an interesting path. I kind of like the fit in the Big South a little more. Being a North Carolina guy, there's, there's just a little more natural North Carolina rivalries in that league. But this is good. 
Marcus Watson's who I'm watching here. Might be a little biased here. I've known him for a while, but I think he's going to take it to the next level this year. I mean, he was their leading scorer last year. 12 points per game. Nothing special. Not a lot of possessions, like you mentioned, but I think he's going to be a first-team all-conference guy this year. I mean, just he's athletic. He's physical. He's super energetic. He's really, really competitive. I think A&T is a team, probably middle of the pack, around a Northeastern. They're not going to compete to win the league. They're not going to be bottom of the league. But I think Marcus Watson is going to be a guy that I'm excited to watch, even if my expectations for A&T are not that high. Yep, I think that he's going to be a lot of fun. And, I mean, I was just expecting so much more for Cameron Langley last season. And on top of that, they wanted bringing in Colin Smith from UCF, where he had a double-digit amount of points, and he just wound up flaming out last year as well. And Hampton, they're going to be looking to Jordan Nesbitt, who winds up coming in from St. Louis to be able to give them a little bit of production as well. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there because this team literally had two guys that put the ball in the basket last year. Russell Dean and Najee Garvin combined for 30 points for conscious. You had one other guy average more than 6.4 points per game of Marquis Godwin, and Godwin was able to do a relatively solid job, but he had a Hampton team that lies here with 348th out of 358 D1 teams in terms of three-point shooting percentage. They wound up getting completely decimated on the glass as well, so the additions that they wind up bringing in both in terms of the true freshman along with the transfer portal, that should be able to help them out as well because Nesbitt is a guy that's able to pull in a couple of rebounds. They also bring in Mac McFarland. He is a six foot ten gentleman that was at LaSalle, a pretty highly touted guy for Hampton because they just had no real depth with regards to their team last season. It was just a very strange offense in general. And being able to bring in Nesbitt and McFarland, I think, is a step in the right direction for them. Yeah, I mean, the Nesbitt additions interesting not sure do we know if he's going to be cleared because he's already transferred once i tried to look it up i assume everyone gets a waiver nowadays even if you've already transferred once so i'm assuming he's going to be that's a good question but i mean at this point the next guy that i wind up seeing not getting a waiver is going to be one of the first (laughs) yeah i'll assume he's going to get one but interesting situation at the end of last year that I don't guess we have to bring it up, but I'm going to do it anyway with the St. Bonaventure cheerleader was an interesting thing in the 18 tournament, you know, so he leaves there. He comes to Hampton, hasn't found his groove top 75 recruit out of high school going to Memphis. So, I mean, to be able to land a guy like that at an HBCU in the colonial is huge for Hampton in terms of a talent perspective. So, I mean, the potential's there. You're hoping maybe like this is a scaled-down version of Amani Bates, who's going to Eastern Michigan, but sort of taking a step down in competition, but maybe we get to see more production. That would be nice. Atrocious shooting numbers from the team last year. You kind of mentioned that. Just not a great stretch for Hampton in general. They spent four years in the Big South, so a little bit longer than A&T, but the worst stretch really of Edward Joyner's long career at Hampton. I think they're going to be really bad this year. I think they're going to be in the William and Mary tier, maybe slightly above. It depends what we get from Jordan Nesbitt. I mean, it's I'm just not confident in that. And projecting him to be a 10 or 15 point per game. He'll be a 10 point per game, but a 15 point per game guy like Russell Dean. So I'm not expecting a lot out of Hampton, but Jordan Nesbitt is going to be worth watching, I suppose. 
Oh, Jordan Nesbitt has a lot of ability, but with that said, once again, like we wound up seeing last year out of Najee Garvin and Russell Dean, a combined 30 points per game. Nobody else gave the team more than 8.2 points per game, so that balance, just brutal to say the least. And we've got one last team to take a look at, and we talk about a bad stretch for Hampton. How about a tremendous stretch for UNC Wilmington after a 3-5 and five start last year, the end of the year, 24 and 4, including a 19 and 1 mark in games decided by eight points or fewer. We were all talking about Providence being the number one team in terms of Kempom, in terms of luck. Yancey Wilmington was very close. That was interesting to take a look at. They do wind up losing Jalen Sims, who was Mr. Do It All for the team, 16 and a half points, six boards, two and a half assists per game. But Shaikim Phillips. He winds up coming back, and after he logged 11 half points per game, you've got a team that did a great job of not turning the ball over, and they bring in Donovan Newby, solid three-point shooter. Malik Harden-Hayes is going to be coming in, six foot seven, a little bit of a combo player from North Dakota State, and I take a look at UNC Wilmington, and there's no way they're going to go 19-1 and one in games decided by eight points or fewer. That was just absolutely insane, but I do take a look at UNC Wilmington, well-coached team. I think we're going to see a little bit of regression to the mean this season, though. Yeah, I mean, exciting stuff from them last year. Takeo Siddle, great job. They were picked to finish next to last in the league. They end up, you know, they're co-regular season champions. So just a, a huge overachievement from them last year. They didn't shoot the ball really well, which was the crazy thing. They lose their top two scorers. Having said that, just not a team I would pick against. I mean, we've seen Takeo Siddle do this now. Obviously, from the Kevin Keats coaching tree, where you know we—I know we've talked about Kevin Keats plenty, how <laughs> it's struggling to win games in the ACC. But we've seen Keats and now Takeo Siddle win a lot of games at UNC Wilmington. So uh, that type of system and mindset from that coaching tree definitely works here. I'm interested to see what we get from uh, Jamari Harvey this year. The shooting numbers are going to have to improve. You're right. I mean, they're not going to go. Was it 19 and one? In games decided by nineteen and one. It's not going to happen. <laughs> they were the mid-major Providence last year. They really were. Full of a little under the radar because they're not in the Big East, but they really were in terms of luck on Ken Palm. You know, no one knows how that stats calculated really. Um, but that's where we're at. I'm excited to see what we get from them. I'm all in on you and see Wilmington. I'm sitting in Wilmington as I record this right now, so we'll see if I get to a couple games this year, but. I'm just excited about Gaius Siddle, what he's bringing there. I think it's a fun basketball school. You like a lot of teams in the league. doesn't have football. Basketball is what it is. Not going to win the league again. If they do, then, I mean, Gaius Siddle extend that dude forever. But I think still a top four to five team. I mean, they're going to be good. It's going to be a really good team, but not going to be Towson or Charleston probably. I'm in agreement with you there. I do think that UNC Wilmington going to be a team that's towards the top half of the league. Once again, I think we're in agreement as well. Not going to go 19-1 and in games decided by eight points or fewer. That was one of the most ridiculous things that we've ever seen in our life. And, you know, a really fun thing to take a look at as well. And something that's always fun, being able to dive into the game of college basketball. And Cooper, I know you're doing an amazing job of it over there at Bus and Brackets, holding it down out there in the great state of North Carolina. So let the good people at home know what you're all working on right now. People can follow along on social media and other platforms. I had a 2023 mock draft drop last week, I think, which a lot of people checked out. So that was great over at Bus and Brackets. I'm going to have some previews up soon, some team previews. Hopefully North Carolina Duke, Wake, kind of knockouts the North Carolina teams. 
on the website as well at Busting Brackets. So those should be coming out pretty soon here. We're getting close to that period and maybe some recruiting stuff as well. We're sort of in the live period now in July. I know a lot of people in Rock Hill with Adidas. We've got Peach Jam coming up pretty soon. So you might see some recruiting stuff from me as well over at Busting Brackets. And it is always fun to be able to take a look at the stars of next year and future years as well as summertime is always a good time to be able to take a look at a lot of these young prospects. And Cooper does a great job taking a look at the game of college basketball. You mentioned it. He's got his box drive for 2023 already in the works. So he's doing a great job holding it down and always delivers the goods on this podcast. So big thanks, Cooper, for joining me right here on Coast to Coast Soups, the CAA preview edition. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you my projector or finish for the Colonial for this upcoming season. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
we're back in lovely Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the Beeson family of podcasts. Always a pleasure to get Cooper Watson on this podcast. He does an amazing job over there at Boston Brackets, and we did a great job taking a look at all but one of these CAA teams. I stupidly forgot that Monmouth has decided to move over to the CAA. For those of you guys having a tough time in terms of realignment, keeping everything straight, have no fear. All of us are because it is a new dawn and day in college basketball, but Cooper doing an absolutely amazing job taking a look at the game of college basketball. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment of the CAA Preview Edition. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, because I'm not doing the news and notes of college basketball of Friday, if any Anything does wind up coming about. I will address that on the podcast on Saturday. But now, without further ado, it is time that I give you my projector or finish for the CAA. And when it comes to CAA, I do think that there are going to be quite a few slugs out there. But at dead last, despite the fact that this team does wind up adding a few players from last year, I am going to be going with William and Mary, the world's favorite tag team of college basketball. One of just four original schools that has never made the NCAA tournament. The others, Army, St. Francis of Brooklyn, and the Citadel. So... It's not been going well for them. Now, the good news is they do wind up bringing in Anders Nelson. He winds up coming in from St. Thomas, but he is a part of a St. Thomas team that out of 358 D1 teams, they were in the bottom five in all of college basketball and points a lot on a per-possession basis. This is a William & Mary team that they had struggles with being able to shoot the three ball with Anders Nelson, though he does wind up bringing in a double-digit amount of points per game. He also brings with him the fact that he wound up shooting under 30% from three-point range as well, so he's not going to be able to help out much in that aspect as well. They are going to be bringing in a few other guys as well as they do wind up bringing in Gabe Dorsey. They're hoping that he can wind up being able to give this team a little bit of something. They are going to be having Ben White, who wound up being able to give the team 11.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game last season, but he and Tyler Rice are pretty much the only of their top eight scores that are returning from a team that was not necessarily too great to start with. It's a little bit of a roll of the dice as to what you're going to be able to get out of Chris Mullins as well. So, man, for William and Mary, I do think that it's going to be another rough season for them in my projector or finish, even with the additions that they wind up having. I don't think it's enough for them to be able to avoid the seller. I've got them at number 13 in my projector or finish. At number 12, I'm going to be going with Elon because Elon just has a lot of moving parts. Mike Schrage, he is out of the fold. So Billy Taylor has been an assistant at quite a few spots. He is going to be coming in, but you do wind up losing the Hunters, Hunter Woods, Hunter McIntosh. These two guys want to combine for right around 20 points per contest. And for Elon, just not a team that was able to put up a lot of production on the offensive end to start with. And they're really going to be looking to Gerald Gillens Butler to be able to stay healthy. He's played just 13 games last two seasons after transferring in, ironically enough, from Butler. He's been able to average eight points per contest, but not a lot of three-point shooting there. Six foot eleven, Andrew Junkin. He was someone that I was just expecting a whole heck of a lot more from. He wound up having just two and a half rebounds per game for one of the worst rebounding teams really out there in all of college basketball. Torrance Watson, Zach Irvin, they want to combine for about 16 and a half points per contest last season. And it is interesting to take a look at Watson because with Torrance Watson in the fold in it's 20 games, Elon won 5-15 with him and 5-7 and without him. So that's not great. Sean Halloran is going to be coming in from D2 Belmont Abbey where he was actually a very good three-point shooter. He shot 52.5% from three-point range. That should be able to give the team a little bit of a sign of life. But really, other than Junkin, they don't have anything down low for this team. It's a team that they really didn't do a great 
great job on defense last season. It is going to be a big-time rebuild for Billy Taylor. So I think that it's going to be a rough year for Elon. I've got them number 12 in my projector of finish. And number 11, I'm winding up going with Monmouth here. I thought that I'd be going with Hampton in my bottom two, but somehow, someway, they're actually going to be avoiding the bottom three of the cellar. And that's because with Monmouth, they wind up losing pretty much each of their top four scores from last season, and they bring in literally nobody in the transfer portal. I tried to find if they brought in anyone that had any D1, D2, D3 experience. Not a soul. I have no idea why Monmouth has decided to take this approach, but they're pretty much going to be riding it out with what they wound up having last season, and we wound up seeing their season last year go from really good, especially from a betting perspective. They wound up knocking off Cincinnati on the road to straight down the toilet bowl. You lose George Pappas, you lose Walker Miller, you lose Shavar Reynolds. These three guys all wound up giving you 14-plus points per contest. You wound up having three assists per game out of Pappas, and now... It's up to Miles Foster to wind up fostering in the offense. He is the only guy returning that averaged more than 3.7 points per game. He threw in their three rebounds per game. So, I mean, it's really rough for the team. Miles Ruth was able to give you three points per contest as well. But Nikhil Rudy, the team's top rebounder from last year, he's going to be out of the fold. You have brought in absolutely nobody of note to be able to help these guys out. You wound up having Jaden Doyle redshirt last season. I guess that... They're going to be looking at him for a little bit of production, but I don't see where the backcourt play is going to be coming from for Monmouth. They aren't going to be able to do a very solid job down low, even with Nikhil Rudy last year. It was a little bit of a rough go of it there, so I just have to put Monmouth here at number 11 because you take a look at what they've got, and they just don't necessarily have a lot to be able to rely upon in general. So number 11 in my projector or finish is going to be the newcomers in the Monmouth Hawks. At number 10, we are going to be going with Hampton. This is a Hampton bunch that they do have quite a few moving parts in. They really only wound up having two guys that were able to perform last season, and Najee Garvin along with Russell Dean. Najee Garvin is all out of eligibility, so you're not going to be seeing him anymore. He was really the team's leader in terms of rebounds, but with Hampton, the good news for them is that they are going to be bringing in a little bit of production. They are going to be able to bolster the team a little bit, and if they could just wind up getting even a little bit more balance, that is going to be so big for them moving forward because I mentioned it. Russell Dean, Najee Garvin, they wound up having 30 points between the two of them. No Nobody else was able to give this team more than 8.2 points per game, and that'd be Marquise Godwin, who was able to do a relatively okay job for this team. So you did wind up having a little bit of something there, but what is really going to be the big kicker, and we were talking about this with our good friend Cooper Watson, you do wind up bringing in a very highly touted guy that has just never been able to necessarily find it at the D1 level in Jordan Nesbitt. Nesbitt last season was a starter at St. Louis, not eight points per contest, shot right around 34% from three-point range, was able to give you right around 4.3 rebounds per game. He's a nice six foot six combo player and he instantly comes into this conference and in terms of sheer talent, he is one of the best players that you are going to find. On top of that, you've got Russell Deustein who was able to do a solid job of being able to give out the ball last season. He's going to be back for the team. You do wind up losing D'Angelo Epps. He was the guy that was able to give you right around seven points per contest. One of the better three-point shooters on a team that was really anemic in terms of their three-point shooting, but I do think that Jordan Nesbitt is going to be able to be a little bit of a deodorant to some of the, shall we say, stink of some of the other players on this team, and I do think that with it now being really 
Russell Dean's team because he's going to need to be Mr. Do-It-All with 15 points, four boards, four assists per game last season. I do think that he's actually going to be able to embrace that role. You've also got Raymond Bethea, who's going to be coming back after he wound up being able to give the team right around five and a half points, four rebounds per game. I mentioned it with Hampton's three-point shooting last year. 348th out of 358 D1 teams, but I will say this. What Hampton did very good last year, they were able to guard the three-point arc. They were actually a top 20 team in all of college basketball in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. They've actually really improved on defense in recent years as well. Now, they got completely pummeled on the glass, and I think that that is going to be a big issue for them. But going to the CAA, where you don't necessarily have a bunch of truly big teams, should allow Hampton to be semi-competitive. I don't think that this is going to be a team by any stretch of the imagination that they're going to be knocking on the door of Towson or anything like that, but I do think that Hampton is actually going to be in for a relatively okay season, especially with bringing in Matt McFarland, someone that comes in from LaSalle. He was able to be a six foot ten gentleman that down low. He was able to do a little bit of something for that team. So I do think that with McFarland coming in, it is going to be able to help this team out a little bit after he just wound up being glued to the bench over there at LaSalle. So we're going to be going with number 10 in my projector or finish, Hampton. At number 9, I am going to be going with Sony Brook. And for Sony Brook, they do wind up losing a lot of their production from last year. And it's going to be a step up in competition for them. Going for the American East over to the CAA, it's a little bit of higher level. You do wind up losing Julio Jenkins, Sakai Green, along with Anthony Roberts. Oh, these were your three double-digit scores from last season. And they combined to average 43.5 points per contest. And Green was the only guy that gave you more than 4.5 rebounds per game on the scene last season but they do bring back Frankie Poselli. He was able to put up 7.5 points, 4.5 rebounds per game, six foot seven, a little bit of a combo player that was able to shoot 36% from three-point range. And Tyler Stevenson Moore was able to shoot 45% from three-point range. And you do wind up having reinforcements on the way as this is a conference that they just want to completely poaching what Sacred Heart wound up having last season, but they do wind up bringing in someone that is going to be instantly a producer for this team in Aaron Clark, who was able to be one of the top scorers for Stony Brook last year, 16 points, four assists per contest, not a guy that's going to go out there and light the world on fire from three-point range, but also shot 87.5% at the free throw line, a very good on-ball defender. They also bring in Keenan Fitzmoritz, and this is going to be a little bit of a roll of the dice for them. They didn't wind up having them get a lot of minutes out there at Stanford, but a true seven-footer that was out there in the Pac-12, and then Dean Knoll. He was a part of one of the more up-tempo teams in all of college basketball last season at Cornell, 10.5 points. 3.3 rebounds for contest. Wound up going from sort of being a reserve to being a starter about halfway through the season. Was able to give the team a little bit over a seal per contest, but really doesn't address the issue that they're going to have with regards to a little bit more three-point shooting. Other than Stevenson Moore, you really don't have a lot of that. This is a team that I do think that they're going to get quite a bit decimated on glass. It's very much a little bit of a new-look team with all the moving parts that they do wind up having, but being able to bring in a guy like an Aaron Clark and on top of that, Fitzmaurice, I think is a relatively nice little bit of a buy-low player. I do think that that's going to have Sony Brook a little bit competitive in this league, and I do think that with them bringing in a little bit of a different dynamic as well, it's going to catch a couple teams off guard in this conference. So I've got them number nine in terms of my projector or finish. And number eight, I'm going to be going Drexel and it's just a death nail for this team that they wind up losing Cameron Winter. But with Cameron Winter, he was incredible, and he's the reason why they wound up making the NCAA tournament during the 2021 campaign. 16 points, 5.5 boards, 4.5 assists per game. Not a guy that really shot it from three-point range, but you have to replace him. You have to replace a top-10 rebounder in program history in James Butler. Last year, did wind up taking a little bit of a setback, and the reason why he wanted to take it a setback is because you did wind up having Amari Williams really be able to step up, and Amari Williams, this guy is very special. 
he was able to take over towards the back half of last season because if you take a look at the overall numbers from last season, they were solid. 9.5 points, 7.3 boards, and 2 blocks per contest, but you wind up seeing James Butler go down with an injury I would say about midway through the campaign and in the final, I would say, 19 games of the season, 12 points, 8.5 boards, and 2.4 blocks per contest. They also bring back Lamar Odin Jr., not Odom Jr., Odin Jr., who wound up shooting about 43.5% from three-point range, only wound up having right around five points per contest, so they're going to need him to be able to crank that up a little bit. And for Drexel, not a team that's going to generate seals out of 358 D1 teams. They were 350th in all of college basketball last season, but you do have a cog to build around in Williams, a CAA defensive player, player of the year last season. They also have Mate Okoros back to the fold, someone who was able to combine with Coltrane Washington for about 12 points per contest. They don't wind up bringing in a lot in terms of the transfer portal, and if they did, this could be a team that could be having a little bit more upside because Williams is a very good defender, but with that said, I still think that this is going to be a relatively competitive team over there with Drexel, so I do wind up having them in my projector or finish at number 8. At number 7, I'm going to be going with North Carolina A&T. When it comes to A&T, I do think that it's a bunch of which is going to have a relatively okay time in their first season out there in another new conference as they wanted up spending one season out there in the Big South. So that was a welcome and then goodbye sort of a deal there. But I think it's going to be important for North Carolina a and I do think that they're going to wind up embracing this when they really had a lot of production out there in the Metro in the MEAC during the 2019-20 season. They were one of the most up-tempo teams in all of college basketball, and they've got something to build around. And Marcus Watson, Watson as a freshman, he wound up putting up 12.5 points, 6 rebounds per game. He's actually a former top 100 recruit from the class of 2019, just wound up having randomness that wound up happening to him, which had him classified as a freshman last season. But he's going to be a big-time producer for the team. But what I will say about North Carolina A&T is that they have brought in some highly touted guys in terms of the transfer portal, and a lot of these guys have been a big giant. Buster Rooney. Colin Smith, a few years ago with Central Florida out there in the American Conference. 12.5 points, 6 rebounds per game. He wound up coming into the program last year, and he was a complete and utter stink burger for this team. I mean, he wound up giving the team right around 7.5 points, 4 rebounds per game out there in the Big South. That was just relatively unacceptable. You do wind up losing quite a few fifth-year guys, like Cameron Langley is out of the fold, but I would argue that Cameron Langley wound up regressing from that 2019-20 season. He wound up giving the team 4.7 assists per contest and was a relatively solid defender last season, but his scoring had just taken a big, giant nosedive. He was shooting in the pocket of right around 26% from three-point range last season, and that was a big bugaboo for North Carolina A&T. They were 343rd in the country in terms of free-throw shooting percentage last season. The defense has actually gotten a little bit better ever since Willie Jones wanted to take over the program, but you're going to need to have Austin Johnson doing a solid job down low, and I love this pickup for them. 6'9", 235-pound gentleman. That winds coming in from one of the best mid-major defenses in all of college basketball in UC Irvine, and last year, he didn't wind up putting up a lot of offensive numbers, but was able to give the team six boards, 2.4 blocks per contest. Will Felton is someone that winds up coming in from Arizona State as well. I don't know if I necessarily have the world's highest expectations for Will Felton because while he was over there at Arizona State for a season, did not wind up seeing the floor whatsoever, but 6'8", 240-pound gentleman, not a guy that's necessarily going to be 
too much of a stretch guy, but I do think that he's going to be able to pair well with what you're going to be having out there with this backcourt now for North Carolina A&T. The big question that you have is with Cameron Langley now being out of the fold, who's necessarily going to be that main facilitator, which is why I really can't put this North Carolina A&T team a little bit further. Demetri Corton is someone that wanted coming in from IPFW, aka Fort Wayne. He was able to come in, wanted giving the team right around 9 to 10 points per contest. He's able to be a relatively solid three-point shooter for them, so I do think that that's a little bit of a redeeming quality, but I do think that you're staring at an A&T team that is going to be able to have a relatively solid run here in their first year in the CAA, but a lot of that I think is just because you don't wind up having a lot of strong teams in general out in this conference. So at number seven in my projector finish, I'm going to be going with North Carolina A&T. At number six in my projector finish, I am going to be going with Delaware. Delaware winds up losing a bunch from Lions here as they wind up losing three other top four scores. And as a matter of fact, four other top five scores from last year, but they do return one of their main cogs from the backcourt in last season. And Jabir Nelson Jr., he was the top scorer for the team, 13.5 points, five boards, 2.2 assists per contest. Now, losing someone like Dylan Painter was able to give you six and a half rebounds per game. That is a big deal. And Andrew Carr. He was able to put up five boards per game and really gave the team some nice versatility. At right around 6'6", 6'7", shot over 40% from three-point range. He was the team's top three-point shooter last year. But E.B. Asamoah, he winds up coming back. He shot 87% of the charity stripe, 39% from three, seven points, three and a half boards, was able to come on strong towards the back half of the season when the team really needed him. And Jair Davis, I love the way that he was able to form himself as a sixth man, probably going to be elevated to the starting lineup this year. Nine and a half points per contest. Not a guy that was going to go out there and shoot threes, but did a very solid job on defense. And that is so much of this Delaware team. Delaware is not a bunch that they're going to be just running it and gunning it. They did wind up having some struggles on defense towards the beginning part of last season, but you tell that this team was really able to do a nice job of being able to match late. Martin Inglesby, someone who used to be an assistant at Notre Dame, is one of the better coaches, in my opinion, out there in the CAA. Did a good job of being able to get this team to be able to make the NCAA tournament. I don't think that we're going to see anything similar here because Delaware, they just don't wind up having the additions that I think are going to be needed. Christian Ray is someone that is going to be able to give the team six and a half rebounds game, and LJ Owens, a legitimately solid three-point shooter, but what I think is just going to be hurting them a little bit is a lack of depth out there in the backcourt that they wound up having last year with guys like Kevin Anderson and company. LJ Owens is going to be able to help out a little bit, but I just think that they need a little bit more than that. So I do think that Delaware going to be hampered a little bit by that. I've got them number six in my projector of finish. At number five in my projector of finish, I've got a Northeastern team that wound up finishing dead last in the conference, being able to rise up. This is just completely uncharacteristic of Bill Cohen's teams, and I would say that this was a punch that they wound up dealing with some bad luck last season, as every single close result did not wind up going their way. They went 2-22 in games in which they allowed 65 points or more, but they've done a good job of being able to bring in some freshmen. Chase Cormier, he's a 6'2 true point guard that is a capable ball handler. He was ranked in the top 275 by 247 Sports, and then on top of that, you bring in Jared Turner. He's 6'8", he's a little bit more of a true big man. He's going to be able to give a little bit of versatility, but I think the main thing for him, he's going to be able to take a little bit of the load off of Chris Doherty. He was back after he wanted to give him the team 12 points, 9 rebounds per contest. Joe Pritchett wanted missing the 2021-22 season. 
he two seasons ago at UNC Wilmington within the conference at 12 points, 8 boards, 1.2 steals per game, and then at Holy Cross the season before, 17 and a half points per contest. Now, Jamel Telford, he's going to need to get back to shooting threes, much like he did during the 2020-21 season. 36.5% from three-point range that season, just 25% this last season, and they do bring back Coleman Stuck as well. He was really one of the few guys that could give this team some three-point shooting. Glenn McClintock wound up having a relatively pedestrian year last season, but him being able to come back and him being able to make a couple threes, that's going to be big for this team as well. And with Coleman Suck, who I wound up mentioning a little bit earlier, he was actually very big for this team. They were 6-7 and seven with him on the floor, 3-15 and 15 without him, so I do think that him being able to have a clean bill of health, that's going to be able to help on the Northeastern team that I think that they're going to go from dead last, and I think that they're going to be able to take some strides forward, even without someone like a Jalen Strong from last season. I do think that they're going to be able to do a solid job of being able to climb up, and I do think that it's going to be one of the better coaching jobs from Bill Cohen, who year in, year out, always does a solid job with this Northeastern team. It was just very uncharacteristic what we saw out of them last season, so I do think that they're going to be able to rise up the standings. I've got them number five in my projector or finish. And number four, I'm going to be going with UNC Wilmington. They are not going to go 19-1 and in games decided by 8 points or fewer, much like they did last season, but they do have some guys to be able to build around, and the biggest one, Shaikim Phillips. 11.5 points, right around 2.2 assists per contest. Someone that does a very solid job of being able to put the ball in the basket shot, right around 35% from 3, 80% at the free throw line, and on top of that, a UNC Wilmington team that I think the biggest reason why they had the season that they did last year is because they could just consistently won the turnover battle. They were in the top 25 in the country in terms of fewest turnovers on a per possession basis. He was able to generate 1.8 steals per game. So I think that that is absolutely massive for them. And they did a good job of being able to hunt down guys in the transfer portal. Donovan Newby was able to give UW-Milwaukee last year, 8.5 points and a seal per contest while shooting 39.5% for 3 and 90% at the free throw line. He comes back. Trezarian White, also as a freshman, he was terrific. He wanted to give the team 7 points and 4.5 rebounds per game, but down the stretch, 8.2 rebounds per game in the final 6 games of the season. So he was able to really rise up when the team was playing in some postseason events. Malik Harden-Hayes, he comes in as a six foot seven combo player from North Dakota State. They're going to look to him being able to get back to the 9 points and 5 rebounds per game on 37.5% three-point shooting. They had two seasons ago last year. He was in a little bit of a reduced role, wound up having just 5.5 points per game, three-point shooting percentage, wound up falling just a little bit. But they also wound up bringing in College of Charleston transfer Nick Farrar, who wound up shooting 40% from three-point range with 5.5 points per contest. Jabari Hardy is someone that wound up seeing a little bit of a dip in his production, but it's a career 36.5% three-point shooter. I think that he's going to see some more minutes this season as well with losing really the heart and soul of this team from last season because they wanted getting some massive production from Jalen Sims. He was able to put up 16 points, 6 boards, 2 and a half assists, 1.2 steals per game. One of the most meaningful players to their respective teams in all of college basketball. Mike Okuru being out of the fold. That one's hurting them a little bit as well. So it's going to be a little bit of a new look team, but with all that they have returning, I do think that this is going to be a UNC Wilmington team that under one of the more underrated coaches in all of college basketball and Takeo Sidel, they're still going to be relatively solid in this conference. I think that the luck is going to return to the mean just a little bit, but I do think that the mean is still a good season for this bunch. So I do have UNC Wilmington in my projector or finish at number four. And number three, I I've got the College of Charleston. They just play such a different style from everyone else in this conference. They are zigging while everyone else is zagging. They're in the top five in all of college basketball in terms of possessions per game. And while they do wind up losing John Meeks, who wanted coming over from Bucknell, and he wound up having a nice year, 14 points, 4.5 rebounds per game. They did wind up playing a few games without a man. They bring back Renee Smith. 
12 points, right around 2.5 rebounds per game, was able to be a very good shooter as he was able to shoot over 90% at the free throw line, 37.5% from three-point range. I don't know if this team is going to be able to do what they wanted doing on the offensive glass last season where they pulled in 13.8 offensive rebounds per game. That is absolutely insane, and they're deciding to go down to the D2 level to be able to find a little bit of production as Ante Brovich, he winds up coming in from D2 Southeast Oklahoma, where he wound up having 18 points and 11 boards on 33% three-point shooting. There's some offensive rebounding for you right there. And then Pat Robinson the third, 29 points, 4.5 boards, a little bit over 2 steals per game from Bethel College. So, I mean, these are guys that are able to come in. They're able to be very solid. Jalen Scott, he also winds up coming in from the D2 level. He wound up putting in some absolutely massive numbers as well. I like this Pat Kelsey style. He had great success with it at Winthrop, where I still remember in that COVID pandemic year, he wound up leading Winthrop to a 12 seed in the NCAA tournament where they had lost two games going into the NCAA tournament. And Raekwon Horton, he's back after he wound up giving the team right around five points per contest as a freshman, nine and a half points and 6.3 rebounds on 36% three-point shooting last eight games of the season. That was big for them. And now they've got their main facilitator, Ryan Larson. Nine points, three and a half boards, three and a half assists, 1.3 steals per game on 38.5% three-point shooting for a Wofford team that they played relatively slow last season, but with Wofford, they were able to wind up going on some nice offensive spurts. I think that he's going to be able to meld himself very well in this style. I've got Charleston, number three in my projector or finish. And number two, we're going to be going with the pride of Hofstra. I feel like Aaron Estrada is the best player in this conference because he is the guy that does it all. 18 and a half points, five assists, 1.5 steals per game, 5.7 rebounds per contest, while shooting 93.5% at the free throw line. Now, you lose Jalen Ray along Zach Cook, so combined 25.5 points per contest, along with that, 2.6 steals per contest out of these two gentlemen as well. You had Ray shooting right around 40% from three-point range. That winds up putting them behind the eight ball, along with A.B. Oma, Iola, along with Omar Silvero. Both of these guys are out of the fold with Iola. 7.1 rebounds per game. He was the only guy outside of Estrada that wound up averaging more than 4.6 rebounds per game, but Darlson Dunbar, he's someone that's able to give you right around 12 points, four and a half boards, shot right around 34% from three-point range. When it comes to Softster team as well, I was talking about the fact that this conference wanted poaching Sacred Heart. They bring in Tyler Thomas, who wound up averaging 17 and a half points, four boards, two and a half assists, and a steal per contest. So that is going to be absolutely massive for them. Hofstra, in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, they were in the top 40 in all of college basketball. They're hoping to catch a little bit of lightning out of a bottle in Bryce Washington. Washington was on Penn a few seasons ago prior to the COVID pandemic. He was averaging 7.5 points per contest, uh, 40% three-point shooting. And Nelson Bucci Yodum. He winds up coming in from Davidson. He was more of a defensive stopper who wanted to give the team right around 17 minutes per contest on their NCAA tournament run. And Luol Mayang, he winds up coming in uh, according to 24-7 Sports as the number nine prospect from the state of New Jersey. He should be able to play some meaningful minutes with Eola now out of the fold. And this is a team that they do a good job of being able to develop a lot of guys. You wind up seeing a bunch of gentlemen wind up red-shirting by a season. So it's going to be interesting to see if someone like an Amari Marshall is going to be able to step up for the team this year. I think that there's going to be a little bit more depth than advertised. Speedy Claxton proved in his first year with Hofstra that he's able to coach. I think that Hofstra is going to be continuing to say towards the top of the conference with Aaron Estrada leading the way. I've got them at number two, but I mean, number one, how about if we wind up going with Towson? Pat Scary. Boy, is this team going to be scary. You bring back Nicholas Timberlake, a guy that was able to give you 14 and a half points, four and a half boards, was able to be a solid three-point shooter at 40 and a half percent, and then Cam Holden. Holden was able to hold it down with 13 and a half points, eight boards, three assists, two steals per contest, 
Really, the only guy that you wind up losing is Terry Nolan, a part-time scorer, a part-time starter, was able to give the team 1.7 steals and three and a half assists per game, but I mean, darn near everything is back from a Towson team that was in the top 30 in all of college basketball last year in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. And then on top of that, you bring in Nigel Russell, who was able to put up eight points, six half boards, two assists per contest, coming from the same conference that Cameron Olden did, the OVC, where he's got Southeast Missouri State last season, a little bit of a similar trajectory for him. Ryan Conway is a, another transfer that is going to be added. He winds up coming in from Seton Hall. He was the number four prospect from the state of Maryland for the class of 2021, primarily a little bit of a point guard, so he'll be able to take over that Terry Nolan sort of role. Charles Thompson down low was able to give the team six half boards, 1.6 blocks per contest, so he's able to do a nice job on the interior, including during the final 16 games of the season for Charles Thompson, 14.5 points, 8.3 rebounds, and nearly two blocks per contest, so he was really able to emerge towards back half of the season. This is a Towson team that they are very well coached. Pat Scary has been able to do an absolutely amazing job of being able to build up this Towson team with darn near everyone coming back. I think the Towson, they wind up being able to make their first NCAA tournament. And I believe that it's been a very, very long time for them. I am incredibly impressed by this roster, how Pat Scary has been able to set it up. And as a matter of fact, it's going to be their first NCAA tournament appearance if they do wind up making it since 1991, where they were out there in the good old East Coast Conference. So I've got Towson, number one in my projector of and that will wrap things up for the CAA Conference Preview Edition of Coast to Coast Soups. A big thanks to Cooper Watson. Does a great job over there at Busting Brackets. He joined me in the last segment. If you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please send these into the timeline. The other way is sign an Apple Podcast review. If you're at this podcast, Podcast five stars. It is very much appreciated. From there, you're fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Five that five star review coming at you guys every single day on this podcast during the offseason. News and notes of college basketball and conference previews, much like you wound up getting today. And then once we wind up getting in-season picks and analysis on every single game, every single day. So I'll catch you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.